Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. Hello, you're listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with your word for today. And I want to begin with today's gospel, which is taken from John chapter 17. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. And through the power over all mankind that you have given him, let him give eternal life to all those you have entrusted to him. And eternal life is this, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth and finished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, it is time for you to glorify me with that glory I had with you before ever the world was. I have made your name known to the men you took from the world to give me. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now at last they know that all you have given me comes indeed from you, for I have given them the teaching you gave to me, and they have truly accepted this, that I came from you, and have believed that it was you who sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and in them I am glorified. I am not in the world any longer, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. So the readings in the last few days have been full of uh, lots of talk of glory. And um, on that note of glory, I want to uh, share with you a a reflection which I've been thinking about in the context of yesterday's uh, memorial for Dominicans, which was the the translation of St. Dominic. Now this uh, reflection goes in a few different directions um, and maybe some of the strands get pulled together at the end. You can be the judge of that. But a couple of months ago, I was watching the BBC series Pilgrimage, The Road to Fatima. It's now a tried and tested format for the Beeb. You get a group of celebrities together, whatever that word means these days. I recognised two out of the seven. And the celebrities comprise of varying varying religious allegiance and devotion. And then you have them walk to some famous pilgrimage site and you see what happens. I both love the programme and find it utterly exasperating. 
I love it because it's religious broadcasting that is not sensational or myth-busting, and because you see people having deeper experiences than might ordinarily be the case. You get to witness friendships formed in a cauldron of the beauty of the walking, combined with the physical exertion and exhaustion. I find it exasperating, though, because the level of religious literacy tends to be appalling, and it's full of clichés empty of real meaning, like, all that matters at the end of the day is that you're a good person, all that matters is that you're kind. And it's not that goodness and kindness do not matter, they do and they are two of the best things. The problem is they require some reference point, and the celebrities don't often search for it. I can try and be kind and good to a hedgehog by leaving out milk for it. But as we now know, milk gives hedgehogs diarrhoea. So even if I'm trying to be kind to the hedgehog, it's not good to give it milk. As Julian of Norwich pointed out, to be kind to something, you need to know what kind of thing it is and what its good consists in. If humans are like the rest of creation, we don't simply get to decide what is good for us, in the same way that the hedgehog cannot self-determine to have milk be good for it. And if you don't accept that we're like the rest of creation in this good, then you have to argue for human exceptionalism. And that seems a hard thing to do without a creator that made us exceptional. But that's my exasperation session over, and it was longer than my praise section and that's not a good tendency. The reality is, though, that programs like this are good for me to watch because they help me understand what normal, insofar as these celebrities are normal, what normal people think about religion. And if people have been undercooked in catechesis, especially those who are church-going, well, the buck stops here, or at least the responsibility to do something about it begins here. But what made me think of this programme yesterday was the Feast of the Translation of St. Dominic. Now, the Feast of the Translation of St. Dominic does not mark the first occasion on which Santo Domingo was referred to as St. Dominic or San Domenico, but rather the moving of his body from a simple grave underneath the feet of the brethren in Bologna to a magnificent new tomb. The event is recorded in the Dominican Martyrology as follows. At Bologna, the transferal of the body of our father St. Dominic. At the time of Pope Gregory IX, his sacred body was transferred to a worthier place. In addition to the other miracles which occurred, his body gave forth an aroma of such great fragrance that all who were present were filled with a wonderful joy. Thus did God beautifully indicate how pleasing to him was the excelling sanctity of his apostle. Now, I appreciate that a feast marking the moving of a body from one tomb to another seems strange to modern sensibilities. It doesn't seem much of a defence to say that the Franciscans are doing the same today. That's a defence likely to draw the exasperated parental response of, if your brother jumped off a cliff, would you jump off too? But why we might celebrate the translation can wait for another time, he says, buying himself some time. But I thought of the pilgrimage TV series as I thought of the translation of St. Dominic to his more splendid tomb, 
because there was a scene in the second episode of the pilgrimage where our pilgrims visited the town of Coimbra and its magnificent chapel of the convent of Santa Clara a Nova. And this is the second resting place of St. Elizabeth of Portugal's mortal remains, as she was translated from another convent that was prone to frequent flooding. And her sarcophagus and the chapel where she lies are magnificent, richly decorated and very beautiful. And this struck some of the pilgrims as strange, the rich decoration that is, not having moved her from a flooded place. It struck them as strange because the sanctity in Elizabeth's life had been witnessed to by her ministry to the poor and the sick, despite her status as a queen. Now, the first thing to say about this is I should not be saying or thinking despite. It should not strike us as strange that she did this as a queen. First, because whilst not the majority, there have been many such examples of kings and queens both and after Elizabeth who poured themselves out in service to the poor. But second, because whilst not always the case, this is what kings and, serve, and kings and queens should do, because this is what Christ the king did. And a king or queen only lives out their office, or at least Christian kings and queens do, to the extent that Christ is the pattern of their lives. But nonetheless, does their bigger point not stand? Are the pilgrims not right that for a woman who showed such great solidarity with the poor, would a humble grave not have been more fitting? Well, yes and no. Yes, because a humble grave quite obviously aligns with their life. Somebody who lives in simplicity, well, there is a fittingness in their being buried in simplicity. But there are two no's. The first one is because sometimes it is our desire to show how humble we are that gives rise to the simplicity of ornamentation in tombs of the great and in churches. And sometimes this desire to show quite how simple we are gets perverted into an ugly is good and it's not. Noble simplicity has its place, an important place, but proud simplicity, well that turns things ugly. But the second reason for the no is born out of something more profoundly human, our desire to glorify. Glorification goes on all around us. I've spoken recently in homilies of there being no such thing as not worshipping, no such thing as not loving. Well, now I want to think about there being no such thing as not glorifying. It's just a question of what we glorify. Perhaps in our modern period, glorification most especially goes on in the arena of sports. And I think especially when a winning team goes on an open-top bus tour to parade the trophy, or say the Liverpool team go and stand in front of the cop at the end of a great victory and lap up the adulation. That's happened a lot fewer times this season than I would like. But we want to glorify the heroics of our sports stars. We want to glorify, we want to celebrate them. Nobody has to tell us to, it comes very naturally. To glorify is natural to us, and perhaps you can judge a society by what it glorifies. When I look across the London skyline from Hampstead Heath, I'm reminded 
as previously high-rise stone is dwarfed by glass of a shifting in the objects of glory. What are the temples we construct now dedicated to? C.S. Lewis, in a homily which I keep on going back to, entitled The Weight of Glory, says that the promises of scripture may be very roughly reduced to five heads. It is promised, firstly, that we shall be with Christ. Secondly, that we shall all be like him. Thirdly, with an enormous wealth of imagery, that we shall have glory. Fourthly, that we shall in some sense be fed or feasted or entertained. And finally, that we shall have some sort of official position in the universe, ruling cities, judging angels, being pillars of God's temple. Now, every promise that shall be fulfilled in heaven has its corresponding desire here on earth. The desire to give glory and to be glorified corresponds, I think, to our desire for an experience of transcendence. In a limited way, what athletes do on the track, footballers on the pitch, far exceeds what we could do, and we glorify them for it. Yet it is not properly transcendent what they do, just an extension, more often than not, far beyond our abilities. When first turning his thoughts to glory, Lewis writes of his initial repulsion to the idea. He first observes that there is no getting away from the fact that this idea is very prominent in the New Testament and in early Christian writings, that salvation is associated with palms, crowns, white robes, thrones, and splendor like the sun and stars. And he tells us that all this makes no immediate appeal to him at all, and and that in this sense he considers himself a typical modern. Glory suggests two ideas to Lewis, and he says one of them seems wicked and the other ridiculous. With regards to the first, he says either glory means fame, and since to be famous means to be known, to be better known than other people, the desire for fame appears to him as a competitive passion, and therefore of hell rather than heaven. The other sense of glory to him is luminosity, and he says in respect of this, who wishes to become a kind of living electric light bulb. But the sense of luminosity seems to me what we try and express with halos, the light of God shining through a life, making it yet more glorious. St. Irenaeus said the glory of God is man fully alive. When we let God work through us, we become yet more us and glorified at the same time. Just as the halo alerts us to the saint in the painting, so too we might think of glorious tombs alerting us to the saint within. And just as we don't make the study of the halo our major focus in a piece of art, so too the tomb should draw us to consider the life of the saint within. The magnificent tomb's job is to direct our focus to the entombed or more properly the ones who have broken free from the tombs of worldly concern and now live in heaven. I read a book some time ago on the relation between addiction and habit, and one of the most provocative suggestions of the author was when he described addicts as the prophets of our age, saying that they witness to the failure of our society to provide transcendent goods, 
And so the addict seeks that transcendence in places in which it is never to be found. Drugs, sex and gambling most obviously, but also money and power. My worry is that if we do not glorify the saints, if we do not exalt the lowly to tombs yet more wondrous, we'll only end up exalting the worldly. And it is we who shall be entombed in a world without transcendence.
This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.